Hi, anyone and everyone. Welcome to our first episode of Have You Heard About This Case? My name is Sam. And my name is Kelly. We are very excited to get started. And for our first episode, I figured we'd start with a case from the Chicago area, Tinley Park specifically. Since it's local to us, you might want to know a little bit more about us. Who are you listening to? Uh, So we're going to do a get to know you question. Sam, what was your first job? My first job was when I was 14. I worked at a small ice cream shop in my hometown where uh, a lot of summer camp kids came, small town in Wisconsin, and literally just scooped ice cream along the lake all day long. Oh, man. The summering kids in there for all that ice cream that you probably had to scoop. Oh, so I much. Can't imagine. And it was like old school milkshake machines, all of it. Oh, no. What about yours? I My first job, I was, I was 15. And I was hired at the local Arby's to be a face painter. They had face painting at Arby's? Yeah. I was going to say I'll let that um, incongruity sit there for a second. Uh, they had decided to make every Saturday children's day at this Arby's where I would paint the faces of the children. And through this podcast, you're going to learn why that is such a bad idea. <laughs> it's a really bad idea. I'm just thinking, we didn't even have an Arby's in my hometown until I was like late high school. But we never had uh, events like that. That's a crime, first of all. I love Arby's, even though this tragic event happened. Um, my first boyfriend always referred to me as an Arby's clown. And I was like, <laughs> I hate how right... So he's not you wrong, are? I guess. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. What am I sitting there doing? Painting children's faces. Oh, that's funny. It's a weird one. But you, you have something weirder. I, I do. This case <laughs> is bizarre to begin with. It's okay. incredibly tragic. Um. But first, I want to kind of talk about the area a little bit, because this isn't an area that we are very, like, we don't know terribly well, but it is from pretty close to us. It's from Tinley Park, which is in um, south suburban Chicago. And Kelly, have you ever actually been down to Tinley Park before? I have not. I know that it is in the suburbs, but uh, I do know that... It's a, a city in Illinois. That's all I know about. Yeah, I've only really been down there a couple times. Um, they do have a big amphitheater down there where there's a lot of pretty big mm-hmm. concerts that go on. But that's I feel like really that's what I've heard. Yeah, that's really my only experience with Tinley Park. Um, but I did grow up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I grew up on the north side. Tinley Park is on the south side. But from everything that I've seen and researched for this case, they're pretty similar overall mm-hmm. um so it feels like it is very close to home mm-hmm. um and this case, pl- case takes place back in 2008 and neither of us lived in chicago at the time um mm-hmm. but i'm really surprised overall that i never heard about this case when it happened and 
we were very briefly talking about it before we started recording and you weren't terribly familiar with it either. Mm -hmm. It it really kind of blows my mind and you'll see why, because this is, this is a crazy case and I feel like it should have made much bigger news than it did. Um, So let's, we'll start from the beginning. This case starts on February 2nd in 2008 at a Lane Bryant store in the Brookside marketplace. Um, This is a smaller strip mall and it was built in 2005. So it was a pretty new complex. And Mm -hmm. if any of you aren't familiar with Lane Bryant stores, it's a plus size women's clothing store. It has a lot of kind of casual and some business professional clothing. And then right next door was a Sally beauty supply. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe there was anything else on the other side of Lane Bryant. I never saw a report hmm. that there was anything okay. specific. And looking at some of the news footage, I didn't see any signs. Mm-hmm. So there could have been something that I just couldn't see, but nothing that was right. reported. Um, but then in the outer mm-hmm. edge of the parking lot of the, the mall itself was a big Target store. Okay. So there was quite a few things right there made it fairly busy, especially on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Well-traveled. Yeah, exactly. Um, and before we get specifically what ha- into what happened that day, um, I want to tell you a little bit about the store manager, Rhoda McFarlane. In 2008, she was 42 years old, and she lived in Joliet, which is another south suburb of Chicago. She was recently engaged, and she was kind of starting her life over when it came to her career specifically. <laughs> when she was younger, she enlisted in the Air Force, where she worked as a nurse. And after the Air Force, she decided to become an ordained minister and was an associate pastor. Um, she really spent a lot of time focusing on working with young girls and mentoring them within her church. She wanted to help get them started off on the right foot and get them started to have a very successful life and career ahead of them. Hmm. She ended up leaving the church after disagreeing with how the pastor was managing everything for the church. There weren't a whole lot of details, but it sounded like it was fairly ugly. And she made the decision just to walk away and no longer be part of it and really walk away from something she really loved because her morals didn't match with the morals of this church. And that's kind of where it comes into her working at Lane Bryant. That was initially for her to buy time to figure out her next steps and what she wanted to do. And I'm sure in turn, save money for her upcoming wedding. Okay. She wasn't exactly in that, that as you are aware, that's a lot of time, a lot of money Mm -hmm. to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You need at least a year. Yeah. And so she, she actually was hired at Lane Bryant not as a store manager. She worked her way up to that in a very short period of time because she just is great with people and she mm-hmm. ended up really mm-hmm. liking the job. That's, that's, I mean, as someone who's worked in retail, that's um, uh, a special type of person. <laughs> I'm glad for her. For everybody. And <laughs> I've done it for many, many, many years and it's hard. <laughs> Yeah. Retail is not easy. It's so hard. 
Yeah. There are definitely those days where you kind of ask yourself why you're still doing retail, but then you come back the next day and you remind yourself why you're still doing retail. Yeah. Yeah. And that thought usually begins and ends at a t-shirt folding table Yep, in my head. Yep. Been there many, many times in Mm -hmm. my life. On this day, Rhoda was actually supposed to have the day off, which again, in retail world is very rare for a store manager to have a Saturday off. And That's so true. I can tell you from experience mm-hmm. as a retail manager how valued those days are. But unfortunately, Herlane Bryant was short-staffed. Uh, so unfor- even though she had the day off, she ended up having to go into work. Oh, I, I already hate this for her. Yeah, unfortunately, you're going to hate it so much more coming up. Oh, I hate this for her. On her day off... Yeah, okay. and Sorry. the reason why she had to specifically go in is because a lot of these bigger corporate companies that have chain stores mm-hmm. require mm-hmm. a minimum of two employees at work at the same time. Yes. And this was the case. She didn't have a second person okay. to work that morning, mm-hmm. so she was required to go in herself. Um, and it was also a really big day. They were having a nine ninety nine clearance sale that day. So they expected to no. be pretty busy from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so she, they, she went in, just started her normal day. And she was working with a woman named Martha. And the store opened at 10 a.m. So they're just getting things okay. started. Right at 10, they opened their doors. And within a couple minutes, a man walked in and walked straight up to the register where Martha was working and said that he was there for a delivery. He handed over some paperwork for that delivery, but Martha didn't really know what he was talking about. And it's Saturday. Mm-hmm. In the retail world, you don't frequently get deliveries yeah. on weekends unless it's like some sort of rush product. Yes, that is odd. Um, we, in my experience in retail, we specifically had a day of the week where deliveries were set to occur. And this is question mark number one for me here, because I would be surprised to receive a delivery any day that I wasn't planning to receive a delivery at a retail store. Exactly. And kind of with your first question that you asked us before we started this case, my first job, I started working customer service Mm -hmm. at that point at age 14 and I haven't stopped. I'm still in this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have worked at retail clothing stores for many years. I've been the store manager at retail Mm -hmm. clothing stores and this would immediately raise red flags for me. And it did for Rhoda as well. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to accept Mm -hmm. her delivery initially until she had confirmation. So she actually came out spoke to this man after Martha had mentioned that he was there for the delivery and she made the decision to start calling other Lane Bryant stores to see if they were also expecting a delivery because she didn't just want to accept mm-hmm. this stuff without confirmation. Cause that's liable for her then too. Right. Exactly. So while she's trying to make this phone calls and trying to, to coordinate with these other Lane Bryant stores, Martha's watching this man, and he seemed pretty casual. He, he came in even holding a coffee cup. 
and was just kind of looking around the store okay. while Rhoda was on the phone. But Martha did notice that he was looking at the ceiling a lot, which felt off to her. Mm. But again, I, he seemed fairly relaxed. Interesting, especially the move of bringing in a coffee cup when saying that you're there for a delivery. See, that doesn't really raise too many red flags to me because mm. if you're coming in and you're bringing in the paperwork, mm-hmm. you're probably going to go back out to the vehicle anyway. Yeah. So can, and who right, knows? Maybe. Can, yeah, to me, that maybe didn't raise like, super red flags. I admit it is a little weird, but mm-hmm. that's not like, like looking at the ceiling is more it, pertinent. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. more pertinent. Definitely weirder. Why are you looking at the ceiling so much, sir? Well, I can understand looking at like racks and stuff, even though those products in the store might not be for him. Hey, looking at just like what's there, looking at what's around you. But looking at the Mm -hmm. ceiling is a little more like a little more bizarre. Yeah. Odd behavior. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Rhoda came back after making these phone calls and saying that she wasn't expecting a delivery. And then this is where Mm -hmm. things turn. At this point, the man pulled out a handgun and announced that he was there to rob the store. Okay. He forced Martha and Rhoda into the back room, plus Mm -hmm. two additional customers who had entered the store at this point. Oh, so we've got hostages now as well. Exactly. It, I mean, Rhoda and Martha are already being taken hostage. And now we have two additional people. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and we, we are don't all... quite know the timeline specifically. We know he came in within the first few minutes of the 10 o'clock hour. But mm-hmm. we don't know how long this all took until this point. Okay. So he forces them all into the back room and he forces them to all tie each other up. It's even believed that he brought some of his own duct tape. Mm. So he came prepared for this. Yes. More than the paperwork saying that he was there for delivery. More Uh than just bringing a gun with him. He actually brought additional tools. Right. He was ready for whatever he encountered at that Lane Bryant. Exactly. And according to A&E, um, which they're really the only ones I saw who reported this, but at the same time, they're one of the bigger news sources. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's worth mentioning at this point. He did fondle the women. So he's taking Ugh. this already terrifying situation and turning it up at a level for them. Just, yeah, just adding in a whole nother layer of trauma Mm-hmm. When you've already been forced to tie up your fellow hostages. Yeah, and then what's even crazier, he didn't lock the doors. He didn't lock the Two doors? Two more customers walked in. Oh. He did the same thing oh. to them. So oh, my god! I'm in the back room, and one of them fought. <gasps> and he ended up hitting her, and he ended up subduing her. But she tried, and she she did what she could. Oh. Um, but he did end up tying them up mm-hmm. at this point. I mean, you can only you can only do so much. Exactly, and he came prepared. She didn't come prepared into the situation. 
just completely took mm-hmm. her by surprise, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And we, we don't know what order these customers came into the store. Um, but we do have a little bit of information. Um, but before we want to get into that part of it, I do want to talk about these four customers. Their names were Jennifer Bishop, Carrie Hudek Chuso, Sarah Safransky, and Connie Wolfuck. Jennifer Bishop was 24 years old, and she was from South Bend, Indiana, um, which is not terribly far. But she was in town because her husband was there for a work conference. And back in Indiana, she was a nurse at South Bend Memorial Hospital. Um, she'd just recently turned 34, and as a birthday gift, she received a Lane Bryant gift card. So she thought this is the perfect opportunity. Go in, use my gift card. There's also a $9.99 mm-hmm. sale on clearance. Take advantage oh, of yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to use that gift card. Um, and then Carrie Hudek Chuso was 33 years old, and she had been married for two years. And she worked as a school counselor in the Homewood Flossmoor School District, mm-hmm. which is a neighboring suburb to mm-hmm. um, Tinley Park, where this all happened. Correct. She also coached the girls' golf team. And she was excited because that night she had an evening out with her friends in Chicago. So she wanted to go into Lane Bryant, get some new clothes for her fun night out. Mm-hmm. And then Sarah Safransky, she was 22 years old and she was from Oak Forest, Illinois, which is another close suburb, a little further northwest of the mm-hmm. city of Chicago. And she had recently graduated from Northern Illinois University. She had just gotten her first job at a financial firm in Chicago. And she was living with her parents while she was taking this huge step and to get her career on track and just mm-hmm. in the process of beginning her independent adult life. Mm-hmm. And so she went into Lane Bryant to buy new clothes for her job that day. Mm-hmm. And then the last customer, Connie Wolfuck, was 37 years old and she was from Flossmore, Illinois. Um, She was a single mom of two boys. One was 10, one was 16. And she was a mortgage broker and she had just gone into business with her mom. So she had her hands full. She's a new Mm -hmm. business owner, single parent. Yes. And on top of that, one of her sons had spina bifida. Mm. Um, And for those of you who aren't familiar with spina bifida, it's a condition that it starts at birth and it's because your spinal cord doesn't develop properly. Wow. There's a lot of different ways that it can impact your life. Um, it can be as extreme as being paralyzed, but it also people have the ability to live normal lives with this condition. So we don't know the son, the extent of her son's symptoms, but as a whole, less than 200,000 people a year diagnosed with spina bifida. So you can imagine that she had to take him to all different sorts of medical treatments to make sure that he was continually healthy and being Mm -hmm. a single mother, being a business owner has to be so hard to deal with. It must be just the, the tragedy of having your child ill and having 
to support a career and that child through any diagnosis, it just must be a lot. And on top of that, also being there for her other son and being mm-hmm. a great mother to him as well. That's that's mm-hmm. a whole other thing in itself that I think right. a lot of people don't always think about in these situations because it's so hard on the child with spina bifida or with whatever right. condition they have. Mm-hmm. The next thing we have within the timeline on February 2nd is a phone call made to 911 at 1044. Okay. So if you remember, they came in just after 10 o'clock. So this is 40, mm-hmm. 45 minutes later that we mm-hmm. get the phone call. And what happened is that Rhoda was able to get her cell phone, whether we're not entirely sure where it was, we're assuming her pocket probably. Um, but she also was mm-hmm. wearing a Bluetooth yeah. earpiece. So she didn't need to take her phone up to her, oh. her ear or anything. So she had the ability to dial 911 mm-hmm. and be able to talk to the operator okay. in the earpiece that was okay. already in her ear, probably from when she called mm-hmm. the stores right before he announced he was robbing mm-hmm. the store. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'm actually going to play you her 911 call. It okay. is uh, a little terrifying, as any 911 call okay. is. Um, but this one, I feel like, is is particularly daunting because you can actually hear okay. the guy in the background. All right. So I'm just pulling well, up folks, the audio been, for you. We've been warned. Yes, this is your warning for this episode. This could be a little troubling. Yeah, it is fairly short. Um, but it, it is what I consider to be pretty jarring. 'm mm-hmm. right so you can hear in there that it, it's not terribly clear what all is happening um, mm-hmm. and operators in the police have actually blocked out some audio in there so you hear some empty spaces um, and okay. we're not exactly sure what happened there um, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily something that is super pertinent to what actually happened and if it is it's stuff that we probably shouldn't be hearing anyway Mm-hmm. But you can hear Rhoda clearly whisper Lane Bryant. Mm-hmm. You can't. That's, yeah, that's all that she really says. And then you can hear him whisper uh, yelling in the background. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it gets really hard to hear what he's saying. But at one point, it's pretty clear that he says, I'm losing it. I did hear that. Yeah, everything else is kind of hard to hear, but that is very clear towards the end of that call. It is quite clear. The man's voice saying, I'm losing it. And luckily, there were some police officers 
that were in the parking lot of the Target store that's on the outer edge of the mall complex. Mm. So by the time the operator reached out to them to respond to this, officers actually arrived at Lane Bryant at 1048 Mm -hmm. a.m. Only four minutes after the call was initially placed. Um, So that's, that's really a fast response time. Because obviously it takes a little bit of time from Rhoda calling in to the operator understanding at least where she needs to go. And right. then lastly, to then contact officers for them to then travel across the parking lot to come in. So a couple mm-hmm. minutes makes yep. sense that it took them, took them a few minutes to get there. Yeah. Um, but at this time when they arrived, the suspect had already fled the scene. Oh, Okay. Wow. It was incredibly fast. That's, he, yeah, he got out of there, turned tail and ran. Exactly. But unfortunately, when the officers walked in, they found an incredibly gruesome scene. Ugh. They found all, women shot, all of the women shot in the back room of the store. They wow. were all still bound oh. with duct tape. And at some point... He had even grabbed underwear from some of the clothing displays in the store and covered their heads with it. And he shot them all execution style. Oh, my God. It's believed that Rhoda was the first person to be shot because it's believed that he discovered she had called police. Oh, no, Rhoda. What a hero. Exactly. Like she, she did exactly what she needed to do. And he she, she did exactly what she was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But one truly incredible thing is that Martha is still alive. Oh, when he went to shoot her. He tried to shoot her in the back of the head and she had the ability to shift a mm-hmm. little bit. And even though she was still shot, she was mm-hmm. shot in the neck and pretended to be dead and waited for help. And so it's mm-hmm. incredibly lucky that the police oh responded so fast for oh. her. Absolutely. That they were right across that parking lot. It, if they had been any further, she would have just been that much closer to death. Exactly. And it's also believed that it was Connie who is the one who fought back and that she was one of the last Mm -hmm. customers to enter the store. Mm -hmm. Um, And they actually found bruising and blood underneath her fingernails. And that that's why they believe that she was the one who fought back. And as as you can imagine too, Martha is trying to process all of this, trying to relay what happened. Sure. There's no cameras in this store. And that's what it seems like this guy was looking at the ceiling for. Oh, of course. Of course. And so she's doing her best to relay what's what's happening. And that's a big reason we don't know exactly what order the customers came into the store. Because Mm -hmm. she didn't know any of these women. And she's going through so much herself. Right. That it, it was difficult for her to recall the exact order of when everyone had walked in. Mm-hmm. And police really haven't released a ton of information in regards to this case. 
They haven't even mm-hmm. mentioned if the DNA has gone through testing and whether there's any confirmation that it's from a suspect or one of the other women. We, we don't wow. really know. And Martha's actually in protective custody. Martha's not her real name. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to continue to call her Martha because mm-hmm. that's it. This is still an unsolved case to this day. Wow. Wow. So she obviously needs to be protected because there's no clue who this person is or even why they did it. Absolutely. That's it's so wild. The guess that most people have and that the police kind of talk about a little bit is that he was there just to rob people. And that's why he left the door open. Mm. Just let customers come in oh, all day long, take them into the back room, rob mm-hmm. them. And it's like, really, mm-hmm. how long are you going to get away with that? Yeah. How long? How long? Yeah. Like, no matter what that situation was, you, it was going to end in an absolute disaster. There's yeah. No good outcome. You're heading nowhere good. Exactly. If your base plan is to rob every single person who enters the Lane Bryant, that is a bad plan. Well, what gets me as well, and maybe it's my experience working in retail that this is kind of something that I get a little hung up on, but when you open a a retail store in the morning, you have very Mm -hmm. little money in the store. Absolutely, yes. Usually cash registers have a couple hundred dollars in it, mm-hmm. maybe a maximum of a thousand if the it's if it's a oh. cash business. Oh. But oh, usually yeah. it's like hundred, two hundred bucks in a register in the morning. Absolutely. Just like the we used to call it the float. And that's just exactly. I mean, you're supposed to do business all day and add on that. But it is remarkable to note that businesses in the morning when they're opening typically don't have that much money. Yeah. And it, it, to me, there's not much logic unless it's just somebody who doesn't know the retail world. You just assume that there's cash around. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stores that will have a safe or something, but usually Mm -hmm. those safes are designed for the retail world as well. And you need multiple people's passcodes or keys. Mm -hmm. They're very time sensitive and you can't open them during opening Mm -hmm. and closing times for protection. I I don't know about this Lane Bryant store, but just based on my experience working in retail, there were multiple different stores that I worked at where you had a very short period of time throughout the day where you could actually open the safe. Otherwise it set alarms that went to a company outside of the store. Yeah. I, from my experience in retail, uh, we had a safe that we employees did not have access codes to. Exactly. And only a shift lead would open that safe only on a certain point of the week when the armored car is there. And Mm -hmm. It was a small safe at that. Yeah, I've I've had situations um, at this one point when I was a a store manager. We we had it was a pretty decent sized safe, and we kept I don't know maybe a thousand dollars in it. But you also have Mm -hmm. to realize a lot of that money is in change rolls and singles. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You're right. Because you need that's what you need the most. Yeah. 
so it's just to me, unless this person has no concept on how the retail world works, which is entirely possible, why were they there in the morning? Um, it, it just it to me, it's somebody who came for violence more than cash. And it turns out he only got $200 cash and some jewelry out of this. Oh, my God. And I wouldn't expect him to get much more out of this based on everything you've told me. Yeah. And that's not worth the lives of four women and the impact that Martha now has to live with for the rest of her life. Absolutely not. Not even close to it. For $200 and some Lane Bryant jewelry, you think that is worth the life of these women. <laughs> it's Even bonkers. if he got like the, the Rhoda's engagement ring or, or the wedding rings. The like, safe open. Yeah, that's still pennies it's, in reality. Yeah. But during the investigation, they, they tried to find surveillance video. And they got a little bit. They, okay. they got some video that was from the Target store. So it was kind of further away. But it, it showed the front of the Lane Bryant store. Okay. There were a couple weird things that they did notice. But unfortunately, nothing's really come of these tips or the, these things that they noticed. They first saw it was a van or an SUV. It was far away. So it was, it was kind of difficult to tell. Mm-hmm. But... It pulled in, faced the store at 10.39 a.m. Just pulled into a parking spot, facing the store. No one got mm-hmm. out. At least from the reports I saw, I never saw a report saying that anyone did get out. But I also mm-hmm. never saw it confirmed that, like, yes, for a fact, no one got out of the car. Yeah. But then... A second car pulls up. It was this one's a sedan. It parks nearby, and this is at ten forty, so one minute after this van mm. or SUV pulls up. Mm-hmm. Then at ten forty-five, the sedan leaves. Again, I don't think anyone got out of the car, but I never saw it confirmed one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after the sedan pulls out, so does this van or SUV. This is also all around the same time the 911 call is happening. And police response was three minutes later. Right. So th- it, it, it could be something it that's is. absolutely nothing, but it could be something directly related. It could have been a getaway vehicle or, or something. Yeah. I, it, it, I mean, it is an odd thing to have two cars pull into a retail location and no one exit any of those cars. Cause I, I would imagine we would see someone exit the car, transact their retail business and then return to the car in under normal circumstances. So exactly. Why don't we somebody exit the car? I did see a couple reports, which I don't really know how trustful they are, Mm -hmm. but saying that the person of the van or the SUV had been talked to by police and cleared. 
but there was no explanation of why they were there. And Mm -hmm. it was, I saw it in more like blogs talking about it. So I'm not sure how fully confirmed that is. Mm -hmm. But I did see that mentioned. If they cleared them, they cleared them. Like at least that's some sort of explanation. But I, I never saw anything talking about the person who drove the sedan. Yeah. Yeah. So now that everything's come to a very tragic end there, they're trying to get statements from Martha. She gives a basic description. Oh, poor Martha. Oh, I know. I can't even imagine. And mm-hmm. I, I yeah. it's hard to even try to put yourself in that sort to of headspace. To, to have to give those, those impact statements to police and to have to know that you are the only one who can give those statements to pursue justice for everyone. And you're still dealing with your own recovery from the incident. Exactly. And, and everything that you've seen up until that point, Mm -hmm. like you have no idea what order these women were shot in. Who knows if she Mm -mm. could have been the second, because we were pretty confident Rhoda was the first, but you don't know Mm -hmm. if she's the second or the last. And you know, no matter yeah. what, she saw R- Rhoda being murdered, mm-hmm. which is oh. one person in itself is extremely tragic, let alone potentially multiple others. Yes, perhaps she, God forbid, was the last person he shot. And maybe he shot her in the neck and didn't care about it as much because he was she was the last person he shot and which he just means wanted to she, leave or something yes he wanted he he heard sirens he knew she had called cops he knew he was burning daylight and but, one thing that we don't know is if the shots were recorded on the 911 call mhm i have no clue if they were or weren't but you have to imagine that happened so fast Mm-hmm. I think oh, it's it, probably it, a good possibility they were. Yeah, it's it's the timeline is so very quick. Yeah, like the, I just I can't imagine any possibility of hanging up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, if it was a in her earpiece, I I don't I don't know how well that would have captured any gunfire. Um, but I do know that it puts Martha in the terrible position of having to relay now these details. Exactly. For the case. Yeah, she said that he was a stocky black man who was about 5'9". He wore a winter mm-hmm. coat. He had a knit cap or a skull cap. I've seen it reported a couple mm-hmm. different ways. Um, He had black jeans with rhinestones in the back pocket and the rhinestones spelled out a G. So a lot of people theorize that they were G unit jeans, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which this was 2008. Yeah. That's a reasonable time period. Yeah. Yeah, That's a reasonable assumption for the time period. Exactly. And it's Chicago. That style is very popular like that. That to me, that seems like it's probably a pretty safe bet. But it also does yeah. not narrow down the suspect pool. No, not so much. Um, she also said that he had thick black braids and a receding hairline. 
And uh-huh. she said that he had this one braid that came down along the side of his face on his right cheek. And it had four mm-hmm. green beads at the end. So it's it's pretty distinctive. Mm. Yeah, very recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some, some reports that came out later saying that he was a bit taller, about six foot to six two. So there mm-hmm. is some some height discrepancy there. Mm-hmm. But the rest yeah. of the description is, is pretty consistent throughout the reporting. Um, mm-hmm. So... Between, I'd say between 5'9 and 6'2 is kind of the, the general range that mm. I've seen the most. Yeah. So stocky is probably the correct word to refer to someone if they're, you know, on the 5'9 side. I mean, especially if she only saw this person in winter clothing, I... Mm-hmm. Imagine it would be quite, yeah, I imagine it would be quite difficult. I'm surprised at how much she was able to recall and capture and pass along to the case. It, it's quite remarkable. Um, and yeah, I, it's the unfortunate fact that he's in winter clothing, so you don't get a really good read on the body. And if he's in a, a knit cap, you know, it, that could potentially create those height discrepancies because was the hat flat on top of his head or was it sticking up? How tall was this man? Well, I also wonder because it's stated that he has a receding hairline. So I'm assuming the hat mm-hmm. had to have come off at some point. Yeah, that's an interesting detail. Well, and that's an interesting detail. It's also especially believed that he left a hat behind. They say that there was a baseball hat left behind. So it makes more sense to me if he was wearing more of a skull cap instead of a knit cap that he could have Mm -hmm. put a baseball hat on top of that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that makes a little sense to me. And again, that's one of those things I saw reported in some places and not others. So I. But I feel like no matter what hat he's wearing that detail does tell us at some point both the hats were off that's what i'm how thinking would you know his hairline was receding without without the hats being removed and a big question that i have that i've never seen talked about or reported is it was clearly stated early on he had a coffee cup with him was yeah that left behind yeah. that was the first thing i one of the i said why would a delivery man bring a coffee cup in? And if he did it, what yeah, exactly? If he did, what did he do with it? Where did he ditch it? And also the paperwork. So he came yeah. in with paperwork to show a delivery enough mm-hmm. so that I'm assuming it had to be convincing enough for Rhoda to make those phone calls to other stores. Yeah, to the other stores. If, yeah. As a store made. manager, if someone handed me a piece of paper that looked like it was nothing in relation to a delivery for yeah. me, I would immediately turn them down or tell them yeah. they, they're not in the right location and Correct. maybe try to yeah. help them find wherever they're supposed to go, but knowing that it's not coming to me, so I won't accept it. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the same situation I've been in in all retail spheres there's just you know you don't get a delivery really that you're not expecting exactly and something on there had to be at least convinced convincing enough for her to call other lane bryant stores right like he probably pulled the logo and had it 
at the top of the page or had some put some sort of effort into this paperwork um, for her to call her colleagues. Exactly. And whether like that, I think that can go into the conversation of how premeditated it was. Mm-hmm. We know it's exactly. obviously pre premeditated because he came yeah. in with the paper and a gun, mm-hmm. but how much work went into getting a convincing paper and yeah. like how long was this being planned for? Exactly. We have, we have no answers to any of that information. Oh no. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, as we said, it's still unsolved. And like the police were kind of grasping at straws. They were trying to talk to salons mm-hmm. and barber shops to see if they even recognized the braiding and the green beads. Mm-hmm. And that didn't come back with any leads. Mm. They thought, I mean, that's, that's probably where I would go as well to see if anybody had a style that they distinctively did speaking as someone who used to go visit the hair salon regularly to get her hair dyed purple you would probably have a fairly good record of that to be able to share so if somebody came in every three months and got braids with these green beads on them you'd probably remember them Exactly. And specifically when it comes to the green beads, I think that's what they were really trying to have recognized because braids, that, that's so common for so many people to have them. Yeah. And yes, yeah. there's many different styles of braids. There's many different patterns that you can mm-hmm. do, but the beads themselves are the most identi- identifying factor of this. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's, that comes uh, back with nothing. And between the February 2008 when this happened and February 2018, there were over 7,300 tips called in specifically about this case. And that, that's a good amount oh, wow. of tips. That's, that's a lot. That's a they, lot. They were even saying. I mean, it's in a long time. It's 10 years. but 10 years. Yeah. But you but call seventy three hundred down after time. Mm-hmm. Seventy three hundred mm-hmm. is a lot yeah. to gain over that amount of time. Absolutely. And they even said in between the years of 2015 and 2018, there was an average of a tip a week coming in. Wow. That's a long time after this happened to still have active tips coming in. Absolutely. And in 2018, they actually released a new sketch of the man that Martha described in the hopes of getting some eyes on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Kelly, earlier I sent you a couple links. Why don't you click on the link that says flyer and you can actually see the -hmm. flyer that they created for him. And you can see the progression between the sketches. The, The first one... And the second one were 2008 that they did in June of 2008, um, showing with the hat and Mm. without the hat. Um, But then you see the updated one from 2018. And they're still very similar to each other. They just tried to make it more defined facially to hopefully get some more people to get their eyes on it. Yeah, it just looks like they tried to render it more. Exactly. 
Um, and currently in the, the area, at least a handful of years after, I, I haven't been down there to really see. And I, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I didn't pull it up on Google Maps recently. But mm-hmm. uh, a TJ Maxx moved into that location. And it was okay. I believe it was about five totally years after. Mm-hmm. They cl- hmm. immediately Lane Bryant closed down the store. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like the Lane Bryant company was very respectful. They donated a lot of money in the women's names mm-hmm. to charities. And oh, TJ Maxx kind of followed suit with that. After they moved in, they actually mm-hmm. had no idea when they signed the lease, the, the violent history oh, that had my. happened there. Because it's not, you don't legally mm-hmm. have to disclose it in the state of Illinois. It's true. Unless it it's true. You don't have the value to. of property. Yeah, exactly. So correct. You're correct. It didn't actually impact the the dollar value of this property, so they never said anything. And once TJ Maxx found out, they decided to donate ten thousand dollars to local charities in the names of the women. Oh, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, so that makes me support TJ Maxx even more because I already loved TJ Maxx. Absolutely. Yes, thank goodness somebody's out here doing us right, and it's TJ Maxx, y'all. But, again, this is still an unsolved case, and they're still trying to find even some basic answers. And so Mm -hmm. we do have a tip line phone number. Um, if anyone has any tips, and that phone number is 708-444-5394. And there's also an email tip line available at lanebryant.tipline at tinleypark.org. And we'll post all of this on social media as well. Um, but these tips can be anonymous. So... Anyone who has information, especially this being a local case, I know the first handful mm-hmm. of people that will ever listen to our podcast are going to be our friends. Yes. Absolutely <laughs> local. I don't imagine any of you know any connection, but just throwing the out there. Yeah, if you do, they have an email line. Exactly. Um, but it, th- there's just so many questions that I'm, I just don't understand. Like, he did he I- exit out the back door? Yes, absolutely. That's the it, that's the question. Where did this man leave? Is if we have this footage of the front of the Lane Bryant, I guess the only way he could have gone out was out the back door. You would think the if there's a back room. There mm-hmm. would be a door back there. One thing I do know, and I, I've worked in a lot of malls. I've had a lot of jobs in my life. <laughs> in jobs. I I've always been that type of person to work multiple jobs at a time when my schedule allows it. <laughs> so I'm sure throughout this podcast, you'll discover where I'll be like, Oh yeah, I did that for a while. Um, yeah. But most of my jobs have been in relation to retail and I've worked in both these sorts of strip mall locations. And I've also worked in, locations that are like a bigger mall which is majority of my experience i guess Mm. but mine mine is like i i we were a freestanding retail location and it well i guess it was on a strip a little bit but it was on the the end of it because there was an alley right next to it 
where you would go to smoke. So there was an entrance, the main entrance to the store. Then there was a side door to this alley and a back exit, a service entrance. Yeah, I have looked this up on Google Maps before just to get like an overhead view of what this area looks like. And there is a highway mm-hmm. that's basically directly behind the store. So when you exit out the back door, the, the mall, it's kind of like a soft V, if that makes sense. Like there's not much of an angle at it, but it's not sh- completely straight mm-hmm. behind yeah. all of the stores. And it goes mm-hmm. to a back wall that I'm pretty sure is one of like the sound barrier walls for the highway because it's that close. Okay. And okay. usually back in those areas, there is a lot of trash compactors and you, a lot of times there's mm-hmm. not even parking allowed in those areas because mm-hmm. it's meant for service yeah. vehicles and deliveries and that sort of thing. And I know some mm-hmm. locations that are in a mall format like that can have exterior doors that go directly to the outside, or they can go into a hallway where there's less exterior doors but it just is like one long hallway that connects all of the stores together. I have no clue which one's which in this sort of situation. But Mm -hmm. my only thought really is that he had to have gone out the back way and whether it was directly to the outside from the store or to this hallway to another exterior door. Otherwise Mm -hmm. the police would have likely seen him. I feel like. Absolutely. If they were, you know, they were responding just from the target. So there's no way he went out the front. Yeah. And there's no conversation on if he was caught on the video from the target store before or after the incident, which is also confusing to me. Where did he come from? If he's not on that target security footage entering the store. Exactly. That's much more confusing to me. So I, yeah, I have it's a feeling it might not have been mentioned because maybe he is technically on the footage, but it's so far away. Mm-hmm. It looks like a blob of a person walking. I can easily understand that and why they just don't yeah. bring it up because it's so unhelpful. Yeah. Yeah. It just might not add anything, uh, at least not as much as the updated drawing would. Exactly. But that that's literally all we have about the case. There's just there's so many questions no. to it. Yeah, it's, it's, and to have this, I mean, this many victims uh, in such a short period of time, um, I, I had not heard this case and I was just shocked by the timeline of how quickly everything developed from when he entered the store to when all of a sudden he had hostages to police response, I am frankly surprised he had the time to create the gruesome scene that they found. Exactly. And and I've talked to Ash about this. Um, For those of you who don't know, Ash is my sister. And at Mm. some point you will hear her on this podcast. She is just an incredibly, incredibly busy person but she wants to be part of this with us and she has the best insights 
Exactly. She is a first responder and a firefighter. And I've asked her a lot about what sort of response that she has. And she, she's from a very different area. It's volunteer based. So it's not people at a fire station who get a call and respond from there in an ambulance and fire trucks. Her response is coming from home because she, she always has a walkie talkie on her and they have shifts, but they live their life in between all of it since it's volunteer. There we go. Um, All right. So we had a little bit of audio. She's there. Uh, Our audio completely cut out. It's our first episode. We're learning. It wouldn't be right without it. Um, but as we were saying, my sister, Ash, who is a first responder and firefighter, her response times are very different because she could be in the middle of making dinner and get a phone call and have to run to her car and respond. But I just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of get a sense of procedure and how this all works. And she was basically telling me that obviously the cops responding so quickly is fantastic that that's the goal that the moment they get a call they were at the front door within a minute but we don't quite know exactly what happened the moment they arrived because they need to clear the scene they don't know what they were walking into absolutely we did know was phone call came in whispering lane bryant and then hearing someone yell in the background so they had they they may have taken a couple more minutes before they entered the back room mm-hmm. for their own safety. Um, mm-hmm. and that's entirely acceptable in reality. Like they they need to protect themselves while assessing the scene and taking in that mm-hmm. information and then relaying it to additional responding officers. Right. Um. So that that adds a little bit of like insight into that part of it, but it doesn't actually answer any questions whatsoever no and i still have them i am so curious about this case i'm still absolutely blown away i hadn't heard about it until a couple years ago i hadn't heard about it until this very day when you sat me down and started telling it and it happened in tinley park you guys that's very close to us it's silly that i haven't been to tinley park how close it is I'm surprised I ha- you and I haven't gone to a concert together down there. Same. <laughs> Same. The we there. also met like a, what, almost a year before the pandemic. Yeah. The world shut we down. Didn't really have a lot of time to go before everything closed. We had no time. So we just jumped straight to a podcast. Well, it's taken us a couple of years, but we're here yeah. now and we're we really here. excited about it. Yeah. Um, But thank you for listening to Have You Heard About This Case. You can find us on Instagram at Have You Heard About This Case Pod or email email us at Have You Heard About This Case at gmail.com. Thank you, and we'll talk to you later.